Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we hear from Liberian President George Ware, the 1995 World Footballer of the Year, on whether he agrees with those who say that he's the best African player ever. And Weir also talks about the hard work that he and other trailblazing African players did in Europe, opening the way for thousands to follow. Our vision to go to Europe was to explore and give opportunity for the Europeans to believe that we get talent in our continent so they can recruit. And this is why we did it for. That's coming up shortly, plus Stuart on Manchester City's inconsistency. First, good to see the Senegal Football Federation deciding to assist clubs, players and other stakeholders in football by sharing around about 1.8 million US dollars as part of a recovery plan with the COVID-19 pandemic. The Senegal Football Federation is getting 1.5 million dollars from FIFA and 500,000 from CAF and for men's teams, each Premier League club will get 26,000 dollars going down to fourth tier clubs getting 5.2,000. For women, uh, the first tier clubs get $5,200 each and the second tier clubs getting $3,500 and other stakeholders will benefit too. Uh, Here in Zimbabwe it's been announced that top flight clubs will get $5,500 US dollars each, much less than in Senegal, uh, but the Zimbabwe Football Association will now be paying referees direct and will be responsible for COVID-19 testing for PSL clubs. Women's football gets 500,000 US dollars as per the FIFA instruction. Uh, This going to clubs in the top flight and in the second tier. Now, we talk a lot about African players in the English Premier League on the show, but there are many Africans shining in France, and Nigeria and Lille striker Victor Osimen recently won the 2019-2020 Marc Vivian Foe Award for the best African player in France's League One. Ivory Coast winger Nicolas Pepe took it last year before moving to Arsenal, and Ida, no doubt Osimen is a big talent. He really is. And Steve, the Nigerian isn't hyped up for nothing because at 21, he is the youngest player ever to receive the award, which, of course, is in honor of Cameroonian legend and former League 1 player Mark Vivian Faux, who died in 2003. And the award itself, well, it's previously been won by the likes of Jervinho while he was at Lille, Aubameyang at Saint-Etienne and Andre Ayew during his stint at Marseille. Osemen moved from the Belgian League and has scored 13 goals in the French top flight, but 18 goals and 6 assists in all competitions, Steve, in his first season in France. Now, that helped Lille finish fourth. And it must have been quite the emotional time for him because the award came just shortly after Osimhen's father passing away and the player ultimately dedicated the award to his late father. And, of course, his mother passed away when he was quite young. But the 21-year-old has definitely caught a lot of attention. But look, he started showing signs of brilliance, Steve, 
way early on, five years ago actually, when he won the Golden Boot at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. Now, Nigeria has traditionally always done well in that competition. And CAF um, consequently named him Youth Player of the Year during that same year. And the Continental Body very recently um, came out to congratulate him for his latest achievement. Uh, back in 2019, Steve, Osimhen took part in the Africa Cup of Nations. Now, he didn't play too big of a role. He played the third-place match only, where Nigeria ultimately took bronze. All of this, not bad for a young player. But sometimes, Steve, you find that with these young players, it's better for them to try and define themselves and solidify themselves at one league. Because oftentimes we see that as soon as they start flying in France, then Europe's elite clubs come calling. I mean, we saw that with Pepe after two years at Lille where he was compared to the likes of Kylian Mbappe. And then he went to the English Premier League. And let's be honest, he hasn't really lived up to expectation at Arsenal, you know. And now we're seeing the same script uh, play out with Osimhen, who many have likened to Pepe. He's being linked to the Gunners as well and, of course, the likes of Napoli. Now, the Italian club has reportedly even tabled an 80 million euro offer, Steve. It's tricky, though, because the French League is generally thought to be less competitive. Hence, some of these players who look absolutely exceptional in that particular league and then look average at best in in the elite leagues. So, Steve, is the 21-year-old really ready to swim with a big fish? <laughs> this one, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Thanks, Aida. Yes, he's a great talent, is Victor Osimhen. I was very surprised he only played one game at the Nations Cup last year in Egypt, but he started to bang in the goals at Lille soon after to make a big statement. And true, it would be very good to establish himself in France before moving to a bigger league. Elsewhere in Europe of note, two Gambians shone in Italy last weekend as Bologna staged a great comeback to beat Inter Milan 2-1 in Serie A. Musa Barrow got a late winner just six minutes after Musa Juwara had equalised in the 74th minute. Now, you might remember that a few weeks ago on the show, I talked about an online conference that I'd attended to examine the direction that the African sports industry should take as coronavirus has brought it to a standstill. Uh, this was organized by the African Sports Ventures Group, a group of African experts on the continent and beyond. Uh, now, we featured an address there from Liberian President George Ware, who was the 1995 World Footballer of the Year. He warned that the situation is very bleak unless some global funding is allocated to African sport. Well, that was serious stuff, but on a lighter note, President Ware was asked if he's the best African player ever. Uh, this in light of a recent online poll that put him on top. If the judges come together and select me as the African player of all time, I'm very humble. But uh, uh, they get, we get a lot of good African players. Uh, for example, when I was young, I always admired Roger Miller, and I thought that he was the king of soccer until I realized that I was the real king of soccer. <laughs> I applaud all of uh, our players, good players that, that, that fought to promote the, the African image in the game. Because it was seen an easy task, you know, where racism was at the peak 
and it was just limited uh, players going to Europe and trying to showcase the talent for more African players to be uh, uh, recruited. I think they have done well. Roger Miller, they are Betty Pele, you just name it, Eto, the drummer. Anyhow, who, whosoever is in that position, we, we are all proud. So the, uh, if it is me, if we, uh, you journalists, uh, uh, the judges are convinced it's me, then I show my friends are proud of me because we all out of uh, African solidarity, we play together to promote the continent. And I think that what we did, our vision was not to go and capture. Our vision to go to Europe was to explore and give opportunity for the Europeans to believe that we get talent in our continent so they can recruit. And this is what we did it for. It was not for title. But the title came with it because we were in competition. Like, for example, the Ballon d'Or. We're not allowed to take part in Ballon d'Or. So we must thank FIFA and uh, former president, Mr. Blatter, that came to power and said that since we play in the same league in Europe, we are qualified to play Ballon, to, to be a Ballon d'Or. If not, with all the talent, we're never going to be a, a, a European Ballon d'Or. So when they allowed us, you could see that because of the great talent, one of us got it. So it's not, uh, uh, and, and what I want to say is that we were all together supporting each other. And the one Ballon d'Or that we got so far, it represents Africa. It's not just uh, uh, Georgia Ballon d'Or or the Liberian uh, for Liberia. It's for Africa because it's a, it's a symbol of what we have done in Africa and, and what we could have done. And, and we didn't do because of the, the, the restriction. But when it let open, of course, one of us had to win it. And we're all encouraging each other. So that, uh, uh, we work for each other to, to promote the continent. I think that what matters is now who, who the best player and what player because we all get different talents. You know, I, I was a fast player and a very smart player. People, I could do anything like Abeti Pele, like Roger Miller, like Eto, like Droba. But at the end of the day, the Dodgers thought I was the best. And I show my colleagues are very, very happy with that. Well, that's Liberian President George Weah, the 1995 World Footballer of the Year and the only African ever to have won that award. His clubs included Monaco, Paris Saint-Germain and AC Milan. Well, we won't get into that debate about who the best African player of all time is, but uh, I had a President Weah highlighted there the hard work that he and other trailblazing African players did in Europe, opening the way for thousands to follow, and you have to give them huge respect. Absolutely, Steve. I mean, you think about how difficult it is to break into the European football scene as an African even now. So you can just imagine in those years what they had to go through to really get to the top of the game. And focusing on George Ware, I mean, what he achieved in those years, yes, the Ballon d'Or immediately jumps to mind. But let's not forget that he has a League R title to his name, was Champions League top scorer in the 94-95 season, FIFA World Player of the Year. In the same year, he won the Ballon d'Or. I know the Ballon d'Or for a lot of people tends to outshine the FIFA World Player of the Year, but he actually beat out Dennis Bergkamp by 90 points to win the FIFA World Player of the Year. Has two Serie A titles, including one, Steve, that he won on his debut season in Italy. And we hear him there talking about, you know, 
idolizing Roger Miller. But when Ware burst onto the scene, he just absolutely stole the limelight, you know. And he won the Ballon d'Or in a year where Jürgen Klinsmann was runners-up with 29 goals for Tottenham. That tells you something. But ultimately, credit to Ware and all those that came after him, you know. You hear him mentioning the likes of Drogba Eto'o. All of those amazing players really paved the way for the younger generations to come. Yes, and much respect to George Ware and those other Africans who laid the foundation in Europe. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on Manchester City, as he thinks they could take the title next season if they overcome the inconsistency of this season. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now we go to social media. And last week we talked about the African Women's Champions League that CAF says will be launched next year, with the details to be confirmed. Now, women's football is growing around the world, so will this be a success? Uh, with some of your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ifrem Tagu. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on Twitter with Vivian Komulo, who says, yes, an African Women's Champions League will work. We really need that opportunity. Uh, to WhatsApp now, and uh, here's a comment from uh, Frida Vienda or Kachi in Kenya. I will be among the ladies who will be watching these games, says Frida. Uh, this will be a good move to raise the standard of women's football and a good way to grow uh, the talents of ladies who aspire uh, to be in football but have not had the chance. In Africa, not many countries have women's football, and what we do have is not well supported. Another female perspective comes from Agnes, who is also in Kenya. Absolutely, I am very much interested in the CAF Women's Champions League, says Agnes. But the question is, will it work or not? Everything that's been done should be done with a long-term goal in mind. I hope CAF is launching this to be in it for the long term. And one more thing continues, Agnes. I hope CAF is not just launching this new competition to tick the box. Now, Oxis Sis in the Gambia sees this as a positive development. Another in favor is Keinde in Nigeria. Yes, it's a good idea, says Keinde. Kudos to them if they can make it possible. Alfred Mdimba in Malawi is also positive but uh, has some reservations. He says, I'd be partly interested in a women's champions league, says Alfred. My opinion is that you go for a tournament basis. If it's interesting, it will succeed. But if it doesn't, keep improving. I don't think this will attract the fans. Meanwhile, Jesse Rando in Sierra Leone is completely positive. Yes, I think this will be a good structure to build up female football in Africa, says Jesse, because the more games they play, the more mature and better players they will be. Bakari Nyasi sends his thoughts from the United Arab Emirates. If that happens, it will be very interesting, says Bakari. But on the other hand, you need to have a proper structure in place before you start a competition of such importance. For example, example, in my home country, the Gambia, no female team has a proper structure in place and moreover, they don't have the money to participate in the Champions League with home and away matches. So it can only be successful if it were to be played in a single venue, says Bakari.
And Ismaila Saidi in the Gambia agrees, my suggestion would be to start by staging the tournament at a single venue to attract spectators and then later expand it to having home and away ties. That would definitely interest me, says Ismaila. Emmanuel Ando is in Ghana. Yes, it's good news to hear about this, says Emmanuel. Women should be treated equally, but I think it should be played in one country so that it will reduce the cost of transport because investors don't really invest in women's football in the same way they do for men. But Noble Botomani in Malawi takes the opposite view. Yes, it will be a success, but only if it's on home and away ties and not only in a single venue. On that basis, I will be interested in an African Women's Champions League, says Noble. And we also welcome your voice notes on the Planet Sports Football Africa. And here's Dominic Ompile in Botswana. This Champions League will improve African women leagues. For example, like the country, I will be having a team that is come from Botswana. It will bring more qualities to the local country like Botswana, South Africa. And this country will also add the value to such as World Cup. We will also see more African countries be going to semi-finals, finals in World Cups like that. So Dominic saying there that having a women's Champions League can raise the profile of the women's game in Africa to help develop national leagues and national teams that can compete well at the big international tournaments. Mohamed Alai Timbo in Sierra Leone is full of praise for the new development. Yes, it's a great idea for the Women's Champions League, says Mohamed, so that we can see African women play great football on the continent. And we end this week with the Suleiman in Cameroon. Uh, to me, I think this is a good idea. Uh, but then sponsorship in the women's game is so low here in Africa. So will they be able to finance it? Even in the men's competition, sometimes you see empty stadiums. So I think it should be hosted like a tournament at one venue. And we can progress from there, says Suleiman. So lots of positive views there, Steve, but also a lot of listeners expressing some reservations too, especially if the Women's Champions League were to involve the expense of teams travelling for home and away legs. Thanks, Ephraim. That's uh, Ephraim Tagu here in Harare. Uh, so uh, interesting, this one. Uh, certainly lots of reservations about how popular this will be. And I certainly think they'd have to play this uh, all at one single venue for starters. But uh, as Ida said on the show last week, if not now, when? This could indeed be the time to launch an African Women's Champions League. This does seem to be a great time for women's football to grow. Now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir in the UK. And uh, Stuart, Manchester City thrashing Newcastle on Wednesday. But before that, an extraordinary result as having beaten Liverpool 4-0, they went to St Mary's and lost 1-0 to Southampton last Sunday. Uh, The Saints scoring in the first half and somehow defending a barrage of pressure from City for much of the game. That's a massive nine defeats for Man City this season and very hard to understand, Stuart. Well, yes, Steve. You know, those three games that City have had in the last seven days somehow just sum up their entire season. You know, beating Liverpool, the champions, 4-0, then going and losing at Southampton and following that up with business as usual, a 5-0 win over Newcastle United. And the season's been a bit like that. Because remember earlier in the season, City beat Watford 8-0 and then had a remarkable away win against West Ham, 5-0. 
but then they have, as you say, lost a staggering nine league games to Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham, twice to Wolves, even to bottom of the table Norwich. And in addition, they've lost home and away to local rivals and neighbours, Manchester United. Nine defeats in the season isn't finished yet compared to four in the whole of last season. Steve, if I had recorded this piece immediately after the Liverpool-Manchester City game, I would have been singing City's praises, wondering if Liverpool would be a one-season wonder and if Manchester City would be favourites for the championship next season. And player for player, you know, I think the depth of their squad is probably better than Liverpool's. But then they step on a banana skin against mediocre Southampton, and that is the problem. Pep Guardiola admitted that he too is baffled. He said of the Southampton game, it was a good performance, we played really well, we make one mistake and they punish us, and after that we create lots more chances. We've lost a lot of games like this, it stops us competing for the league. But it's difficult for me to find a reason why. We just have to persist, talk about the game, and he said, listen to this, listen to this for a bit of wisdom. We need to try to concede less goals and to score more. Now, there's something a lot of other managers could think of. The idea is to concede less and score more. But I do find all this intriguing. Liverpool have been magnificent this season in the way they have ground out results and played a very effective style of football. But last week, City just looked at class above Liverpool. If Guardiola can get the consistency and add more clinical finishing, I really do think there's every chance that City could be the Premier League champions again next season. Yes, I know what you mean, Stuart. Uh, Man City looks so good most of the time, often even better than Liverpool, but uh, these shock defeats, very costly for them. Uh, Now, since the restart, teams have been allowed to use five substitutes in a game rather than three. Uh, This was a temporary arrangement to help with fatigue for players, with teams playing twice a week right now. We're hearing that this may well be extended for all of next season, uh, but uh, does this put the smaller teams at a disadvantage, Stuart? Yeah, as you say, Steve, the idea is that players may be more at risk of injury because they're lacking the match fitness following the break. Now, the last statistics that I saw indicated that clubs are using an average of four subs per game compared to 2.5 before lockdown. And of course, we did have that strange occurrence of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer taking off five players and replacing five of them all at once. And as you say, We understand that the International Football Association Board, the IFAB, which is responsible for the laws of the game, is going to announce an extension to the five-sub rule to apply next season as well because they think, again, there won't be a proper break, proper pre-season before the next season starts. And as you say again, the change has not been universally popular with Aston Villa, Bournemouth, Sheffield United and West Ham having voted against the Premier League proposal. The Aston Villa manager, Dean Smith, is very adamant on this, saying it will benefit the clubs with bigger squads. And just let me give you a couple of examples of that, comparing Manchester City and Wolves, both clubs near the top of the table. After 33 games of the season, Wolves had used 17 players, and 11 of those players had been involved in 29 or more games. 
Manchester City, on the other hand, had used 21 players and only five of their players had played as many as 29 games. So you can see the advantage of the bigger squad in terms of rotating, having fresh players and all that. And imagine the frustration of Wolves playing with their starting 11, trying to hold a lead against, say, Manchester City. And Manchester City suddenly bring on Gabriel Jesus, Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden, etc. off the bench. And now, interestingly, Wolves have beaten Manchester City twice this season before lockdown. But I wonder if an additional two subs might have changed those results. Interesting thought. Steve, I'm a bit of a purist and a bit old-fashioned, and I prefer to see subs being used to replace an injured player or to make a small tactical change. The idea of five of your ten outfield players being replaced makes a game more like basketball or American football. And, Steve, I admit it, I'm old enough to remember the 21st of August, 1965, when Keith Peacock came onto the field for Charlton Athletic against Bolton Wanderers, the first ever substitute in English football. (laughs) Well, I do remember watching football as I was growing up in the 1970s. Uh, Then there was only one substitute, so your matchday squad had 12 players. Sometimes you'd see the goalkeeper get injured, and as there was no reserve keeper, you'd bring on the one sub that you had, and one of the infield players would have to go in goal. Uh, That uh, brought some entertainment, but uh, things have really changed as to how they were back in the day. Now, Liverpool are in a position of having won the title already, and now there are several records that the Reds can break. If things go their way, they can set a new record for the most points in a season, for the biggest winning points margin, and for the most wins in a season. But manager Jurgen Klopp says, It's not important for me. I'm not interested in any of this. I just want to win football games, and we are the champions. That's what matters. Uh, So, do these records count for much, Stuart? Liverpool have certainly shown themselves to be the best team in England this season in terms of games won and points accumulated. But I think it's hard to compare one season with another, and even more difficult this year. Take Arsenal's Invincibles and their 49-game unbeaten run. That was achieved across two normal football seasons. Liverpool this season have had a mid-season break. They're currently playing three games a week. They're playing at home without the support of fans, but equally they're playing away games, which seem to be easier in the current arrangements. And for all these reasons, I would have a number of questions about whether you really can compare this season and records set this year with previous years. Steve, remember that strange incident in the Tottenham Norwich City FA Cup tie in March when Eric Dyer went into the stand and argued with a fan who had been abusing his brother. Well, Dyer has now been banned for four matches, and Jose Mourinho, his manager, has reacted by saying that those who run football don't have a clue about the world they are leading. And others have certainly supported that view, saying that the FA seems to take a blind eye to the abuse that players get from spectators, but come down very heavily on players if they respond. Now, You can't have a programme without talking about VAR. And FIFA has announced a significant change in how VAR will operate. The FIFA statement says that it, FIFA, is taking control of VAR rather than allowing discretion to the 
international board, which is responsible for the laws, or national leagues or federations. Now, we've talked in the past about how the Champions League and the Premier League appeared to be using VAR in a different way with regard to handball, and also discrepancies as to whether VAR should be used to determine if a goalkeeper facing a penalty had moved. Well, the implication of the FIFA announcement is that in future there will be no flexibility for the Premier League, for example, to interpret VAR in a different way from, say, the Champions League. Congratulations to Jamie Vardy on reaching the landmark of 100 Premier League goals. It's a remarkable story of a player who did not make his league debut until he was 25, and even then his first two seasons with Leicester City were in the Championship. His first game in the Premier League was in 2014, just short of his 28th birthday, and since that, he scored his 100 goals in 206 games. And I thought you'd like to know, Steve, that 63 of his goals came with the right foot, 25 with the left, and 12 headers, and it includes 18 penalties. The goals came in six seasons, and remarkably, under six different Leicester City managers. Well, really inspiring to look at Vardy's career. It shows that sometimes we have to wait and wait for that chance to shine. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, On social media this week, going back to that Liverpool issue and asking, are football records important? Uh, The Reds have wrapped up the title, their first in 30 years. Now they can target some records, including getting the most points in a season and the biggest winning points margin. But manager Jurgen Klopp says, it's not important for me. And indeed, Liverpool missed out on breaking Arsenal's record of 49 games unbeaten. So are these records important or is it just about winning titles? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is breaking records in football important? Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ifrem Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.